So good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you here on this joyful Easter morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Helen, and I'm a pioneer lay minister here. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking again at that wonderful account in John's Gospel of that first Easter morning when Mary, Peter, and John saw those first signs that the story of Jesus had not ended with the crucifixion as they had thought. But before I read, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, take my words and speak through them. Take our ears and hear through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. So the reading is John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and the words should appear on the screen. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Then Jesus and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she'd said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, 
I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this is probably awful, but for some reason, this account of the resurrection really reminds me of every episode in the Father Brown series. Now, you may not have watched it, but Tim and I are working slowly, well, quite quickly, through all eight series of Father Brown on BritBox. And the format is always reliably the same. A body is found, um, Father Brown is always the first on the scene, and um, as any priest would do, he administers the last rites and then undertakes a forensic examination of the crime scene. Uh, there's always a really obvious suspect, and the local inspector invariably arrives, arrests that suspect immediately, and pronounces the case closed. Um, but meanwhile, Father Brown is always in the background, kind of wringing his hands and saying, well, there's a used bus ticket to South End lying on the floor or half burnt in the grate. And, and that must mean something. And he's always rebuffed by the inspector who wants to stick to the real facts. But even though Father Brown never understands initially what the significance of the bus ticket is, it's always enough to persuade him that things are not quite what they seem. And that being the case, he can never let it rest. Unburdened by onerous parochial duties, it seems, he always pursues a thorough investigation of the crime until he has a full explanation of the presence of the bus ticket and it invariably reveals a much bigger picture which then reveals that the inspector has got it all wrong. Now the behaviours around this resurrection scene are a bit like that to start with and if we look at them in that light there are three points I think which come to the fore. Mary and Simon Peter find the stone rolled away and they immediately assume that Jesus' body has been stolen. John, however, like Father Brown, looks in, inside the tomb and sees the grave clothes in a pile with the cloth which has been at Jesus' head rolled up in a place by itself. And we're told in verse 8 that he saw and believed. He believed that there was more to the story than the simple robbing of a grave. Because grave robbers don't roll up the cloths. They don't roll up the bit round the head and say, I'll just roll that up in case somebody wants to use it again later. It doesn't happen. But like Father Brown and the bus ticket, he cannot really have understood straight away what had happened. Mary, with the best of intentions, is so distraught and distressed by the thought that Jesus' body has been stolen and abandoned somewhere that she converses not only with Jesus but with two angels robed in white sitting at the tomb and doesn't ever stop to wonder, apparently, who they are or what they're doing there. Like the inspector, 
she's not willing to shake off her initial conclusion as to what's happened. But in the face of that, notice that Jesus and the angels don't correct her. They don't just tell her what's happened. Instead, they ask her questions. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? They want her to stop and think again, to work out what's happened for herself. And that's the first key thing that's implicit in this story of faith, of belief. John doesn't see faith as something which grows from just being told the bare facts. He tells us at the end of this chapter that he's writing about the signs of the resurrection, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Faith is something we experience. It's a journey we choose to pursue, something we make up our own minds about. This passage would be much shorter and less memorable if it was just the creed, if we were just told that Jesus rose from the dead. But John sets out to give us all the evidence, all the signs which persuaded the people at the time that something extraordinary was happening, to help us to stand in their shoes, to believe for ourselves. So John saw and believed. But what did he believe? The second point that comes out of this is that John knew he believed without necessarily knowing the full story of what he believed. Father Brown always knows just enough to believe that the inspector is probably wrong. Well, he always is. We can have faith and not have it all figured out. John didn't have the New Testament or the Creed or the 39 articles. He had the Old Testament and an empty tomb with a rolled up grave cloth. But that was enough to make him question whether the crucifixion was really the end of the story. That perhaps Jesus might really be, in some way, God's promised Messiah, bringing rescue from heaven to earth, but in a way he didn't understand. So what does it mean for us if faith is an experience, something we discover for ourselves, even before we properly understand it. This story reminds us to treasure and keep looking for the signs on our Christian journey. Or maybe you want to look for those signs for the first time. God can often speak to us give us signs through prayer, through reading the Bible, through dreams, or just through our daily lives. I had a great sign the other day. I was feeling uncharacteristically down. I was really questioning whether I, I should ever have given up my uh, paid career when I did. Was it all just a hideous misunderstanding of God's call? And suddenly there was a knock on the door 
Uh, and, and on the doorstep was a cake with a note from uh, someone in the church, someone that I know, but not, not really that well. I can tell you she's really great. Um, uh, but it was a cake with a note saying that God had prompted her to give me that cake that day. And I mean, how amazing is that? That someone heard that prompting and actually acted on it in that way. I was completely blown away. And it wasn't just like a cake that I would make. It was like French patisserie from a really nice shop. I mean, hallelujah, I was blown away. I was so back on the train in no time. It was great. And this sort of thing doesn't happen to me. Um, very often. Sometimes we can go for a long time without feeling that we hear or see God around us. And of course, I could have just decided that despite all this, God had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with my lovely cake. And that's always the easier path, isn't it? To discount the possibility that God is acting in our lives. It appears to remove uncertainty. Like the inspector in Father Brown, arresting the obvious suspect feels like the safe option. But the inspector was repeatedly sending the wrong person to the gallows. The Pharisees condemned Jesus to the cross because they just couldn't or wouldn't believe it was possible for Jesus to be a king to be from heaven, to be the Son of God. But in reality, there is no safe option. There is only one truth. And choosing to ignore the signs of God acting around us leaves so much hope and promise, unexplained and unexplored. Looking at my lovely cake... And eating my lovely cake, I had a choice, and I chose to see it as an encouragement from God. But finally, having made that choice, we get to the third point, and I, I'm afraid I am determined to pursue the Father Brown analogy to the bitter end. But his pursuit of the unexplained bus ticket eventually revealed a much bigger picture of which the bus ticket was a very small part. By making our small choices of faith, they support our belief in the whole story of God. Sam Wells, the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields, was speaking about this last week. His grandparents were Jewish refugees from the Ukraine during the Second World War. And he was talking about the place of faith in the war in Ukraine, which is absolutely uppermost in his mind. And he put it like this. The things on which we base our faith don't answer the questions we have about war. But what they do is completely change the context in which we're asking them. The signs that help each of us to believe, whatever they are, are the things that mean we can say, 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We can know that Jesus is our shepherd and that he is here with us now, today, through his Holy Spirit. Those signs are helping people who are living in fear for their lives to say with confidence, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So this morning, let's each of us celebrate with John, the beloved disciple, as we recall his belief in the risen Jesus flickering into life over the rolled up cloth in the tomb. Let's embrace the story that it draws us into, the story that defines that context of hope into which all of us are called. Like John, let's keep choosing the path of faith this Easter day and every day. Amen.